Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Flamingo Sundays podcast on a very gloomy day down here in Sydney. Uh, the man on the other side of the screen today is a, a, a serial entrepreneur. He's the five times block winner, 2,000 auctions a year. Um, and again, very surprised he doesn't have his uh, orange and white signature tie on. Damien Cooley, welcome to the Flamingo <laughs> Sundays podcast. Thanks, thanks for having me, Jack. Um, mate, it's funny you say that because literally just before we started, I thought, all right, I don't have my tie on. Um, but mate, you know what? It's nice to actually not be in real estate mode today. That's right. You probably feel a bit naked walking around Double Bay. No one recognised you without the tie. <laughs> well, the guy who makes my tie is a guy called Shane Rochford. The other day made me a face mask. And uh, <laughs> that gives you an idea. Someone said, mate, it looks a little bit more like a, a jock strap than it does a face mask, but I, I guarantee you it is. You can use it for both. So, mate, yeah, I, maybe. I wanted to, um, you, you obviously do a lot of this stuff, and the majority of the stuff you talk about is real estate related because you are such a prominent figure in the industry. Um, but I think there's another side to Damien Cooley that probably doesn't get spoken about too much. And that's the side that, you know, you run multiple businesses, you're, a, you're an industry leader, and I guess a thought leader in real estate. And I guess your most recent venture is, is probably more a passion project, I would say, in food and in the restaurant industry. So that's what I really want to cover off today. And then um, you know, go into marketing. We just spoke about your signature tie and that's something that you carry through through life. Um, so before we get to all of that, let's go back to Damien Cooley as a young whippersnapper back in the day. Where'd, where'd Damien start from? Uh, wow, way back at the start. Mate, grew up in Rosebury, a little suburb. I'm one of five kids. Uh, I went to boarding school out in the place called Campbelltown in New South Wales, St. Gregory's College. Uh, it was a very, very good rugby league school. Incidentally, I, I couldn't play rugby league to save my life. Um, I was in, incredibly good at running water and peeling oranges. Um, but, mate, look, I love school. I love boarding school. Maris Brothers taught us a lot, um, you know, discipline, uh, being a great person and uh, getting the best out of yourself. I, I left school and I, I essentially I got straight into real estate. Um, my, my dad was a lawyer. My brother's a lawyer. There's a lot of legal fraternity throughout my family but I didn't want to get into law. I, I had a passion for talking to people. I did debating in public, speaking at school. I was quite good at that. And getting into real estate was really exciting. I started in property management, uh, managed, we managed over 1200 properties as a business. Wow. And I was the leasing clerk for all of those properties. So I, was, I looked after essentially leasing them, uh, everything that became available. I really enjoyed understanding like the investment side of buying real estate and dealing with a lot of owners who'd owned a lot of property for a very long time. I was always fascinated about how long they'd owned property for, what they paid for it when they bought it, what it was worth now. And I really saw real estate as a, I guess, as a wealth creation strategy and a growth strategy for me as a, as you say, as a young whippersnapper to, um, to start an industry. And, you know, that was circa, 20 years ago now what um what was the motivator i guess for, for your parents to to send you to boarding school i mean living in rosemary going to boarding school in Campbelltown, it's not a very long venture i just want well, to kick you out of the house mate yeah look i actually wasn't that much of a badass my um my older brother was he was the trouble kid he uh he went to st greg's well before me he was a, he's a lot older than me i'm not a lot older but he's older than me and 
I really wanted to go to school where he went to school. So I obviously looked up to my, I still do look up to my brother. Yeah. I um, wanted to go to school where he went to school. And I really had this fascination with country kids. And I wanted to, I wanted to go out on people's farms. I wanted to ride motorbikes. I wanted to ride horses. And I wanted to do all those things that, you know, city kids traditionally weren't exposed to. And that was the real driver was twofold. Going to school with my brother um, and opening my my eyes up to the, the country, essentially. And that's exactly what I was able to do. Because, yeah, I mean, obviously growing up in the eastern suburbs in Rosebury, majority of kids, you know, go to schools like Scott's or, um, you know, King's or somewhere like that. Um, and I guess to go to a boarding school in Campbelltown, you probably would have been around a lot of people that come from the bush, probably like, you know, Tamworth and Scone coming to the city yep. for, I guess, that education that they may not get out there. Yeah. Well, one of my one of my best mates, um, Greg Quinn, you know, he was from Mungandai. Mungandai is on the border of New South Wales and Queensland, just past Moree. When, when I say just past, like an hour, hour and a half past Moree. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And we had great friends from, you know, way up uh, in the Territory, Queensland, all over the place. Um, Burke, um, Kunnamulla, you know, different places that most people have never heard of. Um, but for, for us at school, it was just so good being, having that country influence. And that's something that I have really loved, that country influence, and something that I am trying to instill in my kids now. Um, is the the country influence and you know most recently we, we just bought a little farm down in the southern highlands so m m most most of my mates who I say I bought a farm they go oh well, you know how many acres I go it's 180 and to Sydney people they go 180 acres that's amazing and one of my friends has a has a property that's 45,000 acres so <laughs> to him I don't think you'll even park his tractors on my farm. <laughs> Most people in Sydney, 180 acres, they're comparing it to 180 square metres that they just bought in Paddington. <laughs> that's right. That's Mate, right. That's so that's fascinating because I've, a lot of people who follow you through social media probably noticed every long weekend or every holiday to not going to uh, Tahiti or over to Europe, you've, you've got your Akuba on and you're tracking down with motorbikes in the back. So that's the reason yep. you're so passionate about it because you grew up and went to school around, I guess, a lot of people from those areas. Yeah, and look, once... Once you experience a little bit of that country life, you know, once you experience being out in the open, no one around, um, being free to do what you like and, and do things that, act, that are not costing a lot of money. And it's not about the money. It's not about, you know, going to a beautiful restaurant, which I also love, but it, it's about just doing things that really make you feel free. I know that's kind of sounds weird, but, you know, I go out to the bush now with my kids and we have campfires, we sleep in swags, we cook camp ovens, we um, tell jokes around the fire, bad dad jokes, and we ride motorbikes and we have great fun and it's the cheapest holiday I'll go on. Yeah, and it's so different to your typical Sydney, you know, school holidays, long weekends, lifestyle, right? Yep. I love that. Yep. I, and I, I never realised why you were like that. I thought you must have grew up in the bush, but you obviously grew up in the east and... and um, mate, that's awesome. So it's, it's fascinating. My father actually grew up um, in a place called Ralston. So he always, very yeah, well. he always tried to instill in us when we were young, let's get on with the motorbikes in the trailer and we go up to the yeah. bush. Um, and I grew up in, in, in a place called Wilberforce, which is along the Hawkesbury River in Northwest Sydney. 
Wait, wait, boss. Dad thinks he's a, on a 45,000 acre farm. He's got three park-like <laughs> acres. It looks like a golf course. <laughs> um, it's fascinating, mate. It's very, very different. So do you think- They make good wine in Ralston. Mate, to be honest, I think I've been there two or three times and I was, as soon as we land, uh, as soon as we drove there, the, the, the question I was asking is, when can we fucking leave this place? <laughs> What, what so do you think, I guess, growing up around kids that weren't necessarily similar to your neighbours, maybe in Rosebury, um, I guess that took you down a different life path in terms of the way you think and the way you act and I guess the people you hang around? Yep, no doubt. Um, I, I, I went droving. When I, when I left school, I got straight into real estate. But about after two, I think it was about two years, I, a lot of my friends, when they left school, they went on a gap year program. So they'd go to England or Ireland or they'd go overseas and they'd work for 12 months. And before I was going to open up my, my auctioneering company, I wanted to go and have a, more of a country experience. So I actually went and le- I went droving cattle. For, I went droving for nine months. I sat on a horse, slept out, in the, out under the stars every night for 12 months with 2,000 head of cattle. Um, along the road from Queensland into New South Wales. And I also lived with uh, Greg, my, one of my best mates. I lived with his parents in Mungandai for some time. So I was basically away out of Sydney for 12 months. And the, the lessons that I learned out there about, you know, enjoying the simple things in life and being able to, you know, it's not all about, you know, the glitz and the glamour and, and whatnot. Um, those, those, life lessons, uh, values that I learned out there, I, I really instill in myself today. And as I said before, is what I would really love to instill in my kids. Yeah. I think that's something like with obviously working in the same industry, you do notice that, especially with yourself, is you are like, you're exceptional at what you do, but as a human being, you're very different to your typical Eastern suburbs, you know, real estate, um, I guess, pra- practitioner as everyone likes to call themselves. Like you, you're very humble. You're very down to earth. The way you talk is not necessarily how fucking good am I. It's, um, and I guess that obviously comes from, you know, your heritage and, and how you grew up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as you get older, you sort of learn, you learn a little bit more about um, yourself and you learn a little bit more about, you know, what's important and don't worry, I've gone through the ego stage and, and I've still got plenty of that. Um, <laughs> when, when I, when I bring it out, you know, it's not pleasant. I'm not, but, but at the same time, I think now, like I'm 40 years old, it, for me, it used to be about, you know, having a, a flash car and, and, and whatnot. But now, mate, I drive around in a beat up old Hilux Ute, which I prefer driving my Hilux Ute than I do my Mercedes, which I drive in times when I have to, um, to make sure I look, I fit in. Um, but I, I traded down in my car recently. I thought, you know what, I'm sick of this. I don't need all the materialistic things. I just want to actually now focus on wealth creation, focus on doing things that I love and that I'm passionate about um, and being as best person as you can be. I mean, every, everyone has flaws. Everyone does things that they're probably not proud of. And I think it's more about doing the things that you are proud of uh, more often than the other stuff and getting the best out of yourself. Because mate, at the end of the day, we're dead a long time and uh, life's short. We hear it a lot about living and feeling good about yourself and being a good person. That's gold. Like, how do, I guess, with being in, and it's not just the eastern suburbs, I guess a lot of people have the um, pressures of, you know, if, if someone does something that you generally have to fit in with that person. So, like, how, how do you 
be in an industry or be in an area where everyone's, you know, following the same route. They, like I said, they go on the same holiday. Someone buys a new car. They feel like they have to upgrade the car or upgrade the watch or go to a certain restaurant. How do you, I guess, detach yourself from that and go, look, these people are all great, but it's not who I am and, and go about your own path. Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that, like keeping yeah. up with the Joneses essentially. Yeah, they do. And uh, you know, you often see it in that sort of 30 to 40 uh, or even 25, 25 to 40 age bracket um, where a lot of people are trying to keep up with others. And, and that's one thing that maybe is a negative in the real estate industry or a challenge in the real estate industry is that we're often looking up to these people who are perceived to be doing better than us. Um, and maybe that's in every industry or look up to people who go far out, they're doing well. Um, you know, they're making all this money or gee, gee, it looks really good on the outside. Most of the time, Jack, what looks good on the outside, on the inside actually isn't that great. And, and my advice to those people who are saying far out, they've got that beautiful car, they've got this, go and ask them how many properties they own. Or go and ask them how what investment properties they have. And you know what? Maybe some of them, and maybe a lot of them might have one, might have a couple, might have a few. Um, but I bet you there's a lot of those people who drive the flash cars, who have the unbelievable watch, have all these materialistic things, and don't have a lot behind them in terms of wealth creation. So I think the most important thing, and it is hard, don't get me wrong, I was that young kid that wanted to have the nice car. Thankfully, I never got into watches. I still actually don't. The only watch I own is one of my running watches. So and that's a watch. Yeah. But, you know, that, that stuff, it gets replaced every three years. And uh, I've learned the lesson the hard way in nice cars. The most expensive car I ever bought was $200,000. And I owned it for three years and I sold it for 100000 And it was the worst financial decision I've ever made in my whole life. I enjoyed driving the car. But now I've got half the car, half the, half the motor, but also half the price. So I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> so, mate, what was it about boarding school, growing up, I guess, with a bunch of people from the bush and then going, you know what? I want to get into real estate. Let's, let's go and, you know, be a property manager. Well, I was always a good talker. So I, one thing you may not know about me is when I was at school, I actually got, I got into uh, wool classing. So I did agriculture at, at uh, St. Greg's. It was an agricultural college. I really enjoyed ag. And I got into wool classing and I was actually the, uh, the under 25s national junior champion for wool classing. <laughs> well, <that's laughs> on the record, mate. Hey, I've got the ribbons to prove it. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, basically you had to put these four fleeces in order and then you had to explain why you put them in order. And all the country kids that I went up against, you know, we, we all put the same fleeces in the same order. But once Damien Cooley got on the microphone to be able to talk about why, that's where I was able to essentially win and be better at a lot of the country kids because I like talking. And uh, as I said to you before, I did public speaking and debating in school. Um, and that was considered quite nerdy at the time. And, but now it's really held me in good stead, you know, in my, in my auctioneering career. To, um, to be where I am today. So, you know, I loved that. Um, I, loved, I loved getting into those things at school. And yeah, it's interesting how it took me on a path to getting into real estate, but I always had this fascination for like watching auctioneers and, and, and property and understanding about like mum and dad owned their house in Rosebury. And, uh, and I think from memory, they paid like 28,000 pounds 
And um, and I remember thinking one day, my dad told me, you know, the house is now worth a million dollars. You know, now it's worth a lot more than that. But at the time I was like, far out, a million dollars. And I thought to myself, if I can earn $100,000 in one year, I've made it, I've done it. And I just really strive to go, how can I do that? Yeah. I thought, I'm going to get into real estate. That looks great. So you thought, okay, this is, this is the uh, the number one fleece out of the three we're preparing. I've won that. Now let's go and tell everyone why this is the best property in Sydney. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, love I, watching, guess... I love watching the auctioneers. So, you know, getting into auctioneering was, um, my boss actually came down to me and said, I was working at a company called Elders Real Estate in Randwick. And uh, Robert Anderson. Real estate agency as well. Very good. I said elders are known for, you know, being a country real estate agency as yes. well. Yep. I did work experience at Elders Real Estate in Wagga um, when I was in, yeah, when I was quite young. I think I was in maybe year 10 or 11. Um, and I worked for Elders Randwick. Robert Anderson said, Damon, I think you should go in this auctioneering competition. And I said, yes. And, and that was the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales Novice Auctioneers Comp. I uh, won the regional final, state final, and then, yeah, here I am today. And that's what really kicked off, I guess, the passion for, for auctioneering. Um, yeah. So, so when you started your auctioneering career, it was under elders as a brand, or did you just go, as soon as you're an auctioneer, I'm going to start up Cooley's Auctions? No, no, I, I started auctioning um, just as, a, as an auctioneer. I actually got headhunted and I started working with, with, at McGrath. Right. Um, Scott Kennedy Green recruited me to work with uh, with him. I was really fortunate to spend a lot of time with Scott and with John um, in the car with both of them, driving around and, and watching them conduct auctions. Um, I also was really privileged and still am to this day to be great friends with a guy called Peter Etheridge. Um, Scott actually initially put me in contact with Peter when I left McGrath and went away and I, I worked with Peter Etheridge for some time and Pete's been one of my great mentors, um, someone who I look up, look up to very much today, right to today. He actually bought me a brand new uh, auctioneer's gavel the other day made, of, made out of uh, a mulga tree. So um, Pete's still a great friend and a great mentor. I basically learned everything I know from him. So, um, you know, it, I've had a lot of great mentors throughout my career. Um, but that's how I started. And then I decided at that point to go out on my own and start Cooley Auctions. And, um, yeah, that was probably 17 years ago now, I think. And, and I guess that's where the entrepreneurial journey started from, you know, auctioneering to, to starting your own auctioneering company. Now, I think you, just yourself, you do in excess of, of 2,000 auctions a year. You've got auctioneers obviously working under you because they aspire to be like Damien Cooley. From, from, I guess, growing your own auctioneering business, it sounds like you were really passionate about investing in real estate too, from seeing your parents, you know, buy the property for 20 odd thousand pounds and it being worth a million. What, what do you think was the, the driver to go, okay, I, I'm becoming one of the most prominent auctioneers in Australia. Now, how can I not only better myself as an auctioneer, but then better myself as an investor, better myself as a business owner or an entrepreneur? How, how did that all come about? Because I think that's the really interesting part. Yeah, it's... And I often ask myself like similar questions about, you know, where I've come from and where I am today. I never really set out to, I never thought I'd be where I am today, frankly. You know, I, I never thought, my goal was if I could make a hundred grand and um, that at the time when I was like 18, 19 years old, when you don't have any money, 
getting, you know, a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks in your bank account every week is like, wow, what am I going to do with it all? Um, right. But, you know, then you get a wife, three kids, um, have, have a nice house, buy a farm and you've got all these financial commitments. Let me tell you, you need to be earning good money to, to, to keep up with the Joneses. Um, so like, I guess for me, I always wanted to be the best I could be, but I never really thought that, you know, in our best year at Cooley Auctions, we did just over 6,000 auctions as a company. Wow. I never really set out to achieve that as a goal. Um, I met I met an incredible human, a guy called Dr. Fred Gross, uh, many, many years ago. And Dr. Fred's been a, a mentor of mine, business coach of mine for some time. And he would be the number one person that I look up to in terms of how I set goals, how I go about achieving them. And most importantly, before all of that, about working out what's important to me, where I want to be in my life and what my life goals are. Because that's, to me, that's the most important thing. See, real estate and auctioneering for me is something that I'm passionate about, something that I love, um, but it's something that provides me with an income to do the things that I really love and do the things that I really, that I really want to achieve and spend time with family and, and do all these wonderful things, they're the goals that are more important to me than going and calling 10 or 15 auctions on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, Dr. Fred's really taught me to get the best out of yourself. And I think it's really easy to like set a goal and say, hey, I want to I want to earn this much money or I want to buy that house or I want to get that car or, or I want to achieve this goal. But really what I believe is more important than that or what you need to work out first before you're going to achieve any of that is work out the things that are important to you and that make you feel good and about including more of those things in your daily activities and your daily life. Because if you concentrate on those little things every single day, the big goals, they just happen. They, they just happen. You don't have to say, oh, I'm going to go and achieve this massive goal and go far out. How am I going to do it? You just go every day I'm going to turn up and this is how I'm going to do it. And I recognise that there's some days where you can't turn up, um, but most of the day, every, most of the time, be the best version of yourself and get the best out of yourself. The big goals, they just happen. They just happen. And it sounds like that's really about enjoying the process of getting to the goals, not necessarily about, you know, idolising the goal itself. Yeah. Absolutely. With, with being the number, like you're literally the number one auctioneer in the country. You're, you know, Australia-renowned when you get to the pinnacle how do you i guess detach yourself from from that because a lot of people i feel when they get to the top of an industry or the top of their game they identify as that they go i am the number one auctioneer and if something was to ever happen and they were to fall from that i guess you know pinnacle then they feel like they're worthless and they've you know come off their game and they're not as good as they used to be and blah 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 blah, blah. but it sounds like that's a you know, second part of your life and you're really concentrating on the things you love and that's just a, uh, I guess, a facilitator to make them happen. Yep. Um, again, getting the best out of yourself. I mean, in, 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 my, in my best year of, of auctioneering, I did 2,364 as my best year. And that was in 2015. And I actually look back on that now and I say far out, like in, in 2015 was my best year. Market was flying, did a lot of auctions. I worked really, really hard. And I also said to myself, I went through my, my because every year I, I set out my personal, my business, my life goals, and I review them constantly. And after every year, I write out all of my achievements because my wife used to always say to me, Damien, you know, you're never happy. I go, no, no, that's not the case. I, I'm really happy. She goes, no, but you always 
setting these next goal, what's the next goal? I said, yeah, that's because I'm aspiring to get more out of myself. But in one respect, Pepe was really right in that I wasn't looking back on all the things that I've, I had achieved and I was forgetting about all those things that I'd done. So I started writing out every year a list of all of my achievements. And now when I go back and I look at those achievements, I'm like, far out. I achieved a lot last year. Or when you start having those bad days where you say, I'm not good enough or I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as good as that person because you know what, Jack? There's always someone kicking your ass, all right? The reality is you've got to be happy within yourself and be fulfilled with what you're doing and don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Worry about getting the best out of yourself. You know, people often say, like, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken. And it's really true. Like, you just have to get the best out of yourself. So back in 2015, I did two Ironmans. Um, I, I did 2,364 auctions. I raised an incredible amount of money for charity. And I look back on it and I say, I was actually the fittest I probably ever was. I worked the hardest I'd ever worked and I did the best in business. And I, I now say to myself, you know, anytime that I start making up excuses about why I shouldn't do this or why I can't do that, I go, you know, you've done it before. They're all excuses. Because at the end of the day, I genuinely believe anyone can achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve if they want to achieve it. And the only thing that holds people back from achieving those goals and from getting the best out of themselves is themselves. Is that you just haven't made the decision that it's important enough to you to achieve the goal that you set. And when you decide that it's important enough to achieve that goal, you'll achieve that goal. Full stop. And it's, I guess it's very similar to what Simon Sinek says around what's your why. You know, like if your why is yourself, then you'll do it. But if your why is an external factor, that dwindles very quickly. Yep. Absolutely. You mentioned two two uh, two Ironmans in one year. One people, some, most people don't do one in their whole life. You've just you've just knocked out a sneaky two in one year. What what made you get into you know the ultra marathons, the Ironmans, the I guess the absolute pinnacle again of fitness. I did a half marathon on Sunday, mate, and I can tell you what my knees almost <laughs> broke out of my legs. Well, you know what? That's a good sign because it mean, it means that you tried hard. So. You know, after after a big race like uh, a half marathon uh, or a marathon or you know ultra distances, mate, I literally can't walk for a week. So you know, if if your if your legs aren't hurting after a, after a race, it means that you didn't go hard enough. So um, I'm glad I'm glad you saw the marathon. What made you do it? Hey, look, I'm a bit of a person of extremes. I I do like I'm either on or I'm not, and. For me, setting the goal to get into uh, triathlons was a mate of mine said to me one day, he goes, mate, you know, you should really get into triathlons. It was a mate of mine, Greg McDermott. And Greg actually, incidentally, also went to St. Greg's. And Greg um, at school was a bit overweight and he got it when he left school. He lost all this weight. And I saw him finish Melbourne Ironman one year. And I was like, far out. That's just, that was really inspiring to see Greg do that. And I thought, I can do that. I'm going to do it. So, like, I ran, I ran around. I got a triathlon, triathlon coach. And my, I remember um, James saying to me, my tri-coach, you know, what do you want to do? You know, try, you want to do, like, sprint distance? I said, no, I just want to do an Ironman. Just let's go. Let's just <laughs> let's go straight to the top. Let's do it. So um, I trained. And in that year, I did uh, Port Macquarie 70.3. And I did uh, Melbourne Ironman. 
and it was next level. Like what I did learn about Ironman, I disciplined for training. I was training like circa 18, 20 hours a week. Um, it was it was pretty taxing on the body, um, pretty taxing on my time. I was very fortunate that Peppy, my wife, you know, allowed me to to put the training in to do that. But it made me feel unbelievable. I was the fittest version of myself. I, uh, you know, I worked really hard in business and, um, you know, it was incredible. And it was a great achievement. And I would find it hard to go and do another one of those right now. But um, I've now sort of got into my trail running, which I love, and um, got out of marathons. And, yeah, what's the next challenge? Just just for people so they understand what a uh... – Ironman is what, what's involved in an Ironman? Uh, Ironman's 3.8k swim, 180k bike ride, and 42k run. All so, together I did, uh, yeah, I did um, 10 hours and I think 26 minutes, or it was about that, might have been 30, I can't remember, 10 and a half hours basically um, for my Melbourne Ironman, which was, which was awesome. Loved it. And it was, it's about 10 and a half hours in the hurt locker pushing your body to get the best out of itself. Anyone who's ridden a bike for 180 Ks at like 160, maybe even less, probably at about 100 Ks, I just wanted to pick the bike up and throw it away. Um, I was so done with riding that thing. So you actually look forward to getting off the bike and getting on the run. Like I know that sounds weird, but I, I, I love running and I'm a runner. So I was actually really looking forward to the marathon. Like I just wanted to get off the bike marathons in themselves are hard enough i did 22 k's on sunday and i felt like i was going to die by the end of it and you've just knocked out 180 k's on a bike and then just straight into a 42k trot <laughs> and to put it in perspective 180 k is the distance from sydney to newcastle yeah sydney i think sydney to newcastle about 140 <laughs> so uh so yeah it's like riding from sydney to newcastle turning around and Maybe coming back to Morissette, maybe. I don't know, something in like that. Servos and stopping in for a pie and then <laughs> the rest. Yeah, just get a bit large Big Mac meal with fries on the side. <laughs> <laughs> probably get away with doing that after it, though. Oh, mate, so like you just, I, I, something I noticed you said is that everything you do is is to the extreme. You know, you obviously set your mind to it and you say, well, I'm going to be the best auctioneer. And then from auctioneering, I'm going to be the best ultramarathon or, or the fittest person in myself. And, and, you know, I think, I think another thing you've done is, is you, you've, you've become an entrepreneur, you know, you're a major investor in Homely, you've got, um, you know, the auction um, platform, would you call it, at auction now, you've got Coolies yep. Auction. Like, yeah, run us through, run us through your, your journey as a, I guess, a brief journey as an entrepreneur and then why you've sort of gone into all of these different parts. Uh, buying property was the most important thing. And, you know, before investing in businesses and things that are fun or, uh, you know, tech and stuff like that, buying property is the absolute, for me, was the most important thing. And, uh, you know, as I've got older, having a share portfolio, having a self-managed super fund, you know, these are all, re really, it's about mapping out where you are today and where you want to be in 10 years time, in 20 years time, in 30 years time. I, I believe that everyone should have a number. You know, a number that you want to achieve, a number you want to get to that says, okay, like when I when I have that number, um, when I'm talking about a number, I'm talking about a number of, um, you know, assets, wealth that you have um, that is income producing, dollar producing. Uh, the goal is to make money while you sleep. 
That's the goal. You know, making money while you're not working, making your money work for you. So what are the two most, the biggest examples that we all as Australians would think about is shares and property. And when you buy shares in a company, that company is working and you're getting dividends and hopefully the value of that company rises and you're earning profit. Um, and that's how you create wealth. So I've got a self-managed super fund that has all of my SMSF is all in shares and personal investments um, are all in the property industry. So owning you know, multiple investment properties, owning our own home. And when I say owning, the bank owns a lot of it, but it's about investing in and reducing your debt on your personal home because that's non-deductible debt, but having debt on your investment properties, perfectly fine because that's deductible debt in terms of uh, negative gearing. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you need a good accountant, you need a good stockbroker, you need a good advisor in the real estate industry about what to buy and the right assets. Um, so that was most important, setting all that up first. And now that I've got a really good base in all of that, yeah, I've started looking at, hey, what are the things that I'd like to um, in, have fun with, enjoy my time with? And now the auction tech that we started was really all about trying to digitize the way that we sold, how we sold real estate. Now, I believe, like, for example, being able to place a bid digitally online without having to be on the telephone with a real estate agent, empowering the buyer to bid for themselves, bidding online, being able to live stream the auction and tune in from anywhere in the world on any device. I mean, we can literally have a person bidding from New York, from their apartment in New York now, while I'm conducting an auction in Double Bay, digitally watching the auction in real time with no time delay. And if they're successful, we can exchange a contract with them electronically. So yeah, I am a person of extremes. I started building that. I naively naively thought it was going to cost me about 100 to 200,000. Uh, when I got to $1.3 million, I was like, far out, mate, what are you doing here? Um, <laughs> so I, I merged Auction Now with an incredible company called Realtair, um, which I'm very proud now to be a shareholder of. Um, Realtair is the real deal in the technology space in real estate. And, uh, you know, the, this is a company that you're going to hear a lot more of and a company that um, that you're really going to see transform the way that real estate, not transform is probably the wrong word, really, I guess, um, help agents be better real estate agents and, and make the process a lot easier to do business. Um, and that's all about, you know, moving into the digital world of, uh, of real estate, because real estate is still, in many respects, uh, behind the times in terms of the, the digital space. But, you know, I must say, as an industry, we're improving very much and Realtair is going to do big things to, um, to help that. So, yeah, I'm an investor in Realtair um, and uh, more recently uh, become an investor in, uh, in a wine bar, restaurant uh, and bottle shop. And I do have a passion for food and wine. And that's really uh, what led me to, to being an investor in that. And then also one of my, one of my best mates, um, Fabio, who I incidentally met at a restaurant, couldn't speak a word of English. And he couldn't speak English and we couldn't speak Italian. So we got on famously <laughs> and um, we became great mates. And we, you know, we've spoken about doing something for a long time. So, Literally only last week we opened the doors to uh, to Seller Seller Vinoteca in uh, in Randwick, and I'm um, super excited about that journey. Well, mate, I'll be booking in. That's where we'll have our Christmas party. Please do.
We're speaking left-handed Braille as well. It seems to be the language of choice there. (laughs) And then, um, mate, COVID come along and I guess you're just talking about tech and, and, you know, someone bidding from from, from New York in an Australian auction, this thing called COVID-19 come along and that was sort of the thing that, you know, kept pushing real estate transactions along because no one was allowed in the same room. And then Damien Cooley's just popped up with this thing called auction now and, Everyone's just transacting on real estate. I was a bidder yeah. in one of the auctions. COVID was almost like a pretty good kick in the backside for a lot of people to say, oh, we need to really open our eyes to how we do business yeah, um, how, and how we transact real estate. You know, do people prefer to be live standing in front of, in, at the auction and bidding against other people? I personally believe the answer is yes. I, I believe that people do prefer to stand in front, see who they're competing against, eyeball their competition, um, and place the bid at the auction. There, there is, there are advantages for being live, but there are a lot of people who can't be live. There are a lot of people who can't turn up. There are a lot of people who can't inspect a property. Um, you know, recently we sold a property by by doing a FaceTime inspection. Agent took a buyer through through FaceTime. They inspected the property. Uh, we went to the auction. They bid online as an online bidder in auction now and bought the property. I mean, before real before you know, two three years ago, you'd have thought impossible no way that no anyone would do that but people's doing it um and they will buy real estate because i think that there is an underpinning value of of particularly the sydney property market that people have confidence in the product that they're buying um, and residential real estate so auction now yes during covid um was incredible and right now it is also um being used we use it and we were using it two years before covid19 right but this, this process about digital, um, the digital space in the auction market is something that will continue to evolve. It will take time. Um, you know, COVID certainly fast-tracked that process for a short period. At the moment we got out of that, you know, agents started going back to doing what they always did. And, and, I, and I'm not against that. I also believe that, that there is a place for both in the industry. Um, I think where auction now really... Will, will have a big impact is probably in the private treaty space where we use this platform and probably won't be called auction now, but it's we have a, we have a platform now that we call Buy Now. And the Buy Now platform is all about um, the digital private treaty space, about using technology to transact real estate digitally um, and getting the same benefits of the auction process, but using it on the Buy Now platform, um, which, which I'm more excited about now. Again, taking it to the extremes, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Mate, last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is, I guess, Damien Cooley, the marketer, because like something even as simple as a signature tie that, you know, when you go on shows like The Block, people recognize you for, where did that come from? Is that something that you had in your mind? Like, you know, let, let's set ourselves apart or was it just something that naturally happened because you like fancy ties? There's been a few influences on on my marketing. I don't think you call it prowess, but I guess essentially, like when I work with John McGrath, like listening to him and watching the way that he marketed in under the McGrath brand and his standards of excellence was was first class. Uh, I spent a lot of time with um, Shannon Whitney and Ivan Bresick. And one thing that I really loved about Ivan and got from Ivan was all about standards of excellence. 
Um, and I'm forever grateful for, for watching and listening and learning from these people who had incredible expectations of, of others and incredible expectations of themselves. The brand was always most important because, you know, the brand is not just about your logo. It's about your presence. It's about your presentation. It's about how you present every single day. It's about what people think about you when you're, when you're not listening or what people say about you when you're not in front of them. That's what your brand is all about. And, and I really believe that, you know, having a great brand, as good a brand as you can have, um, is also about the way that you look. And that's about polishing your shoes every day. I get my hair cut every two weeks. I shave every single day. Even if I'm not going to work, I still shave. And that becomes a habit. And Dr. Fred taught me, you know, once you start doing things more and more often, they just become habits. So for me, um, looking good, feeling good, you know, have been fit, healthy, exercising, um, and getting the best out of yourself is, is also all about my brand. The tie, my father-in-law actually bought me that tie um, as a Christmas present one year. And uh, he bought it from a company, uh, Shane Rochford, Rochford Taylors in Sydney. Um, I'm a member of um, Tattersall's Club and Rochford's just down below uh, near the Sheraton on the Park in Sydney. And Shane makes all of my suits, all my shirts, all my ties. And I, John bought me the tie as a Christmas present and orange was our company colour and it just stuck. And I just decided, you know what, we're going to make this our company tie. And that has become the tie that is now recognisable for people when they see me conducting an auction or they see one of our auctioneers conducting an auction. They go, oh, I know that tie. And even if they don't know my name or know who I am, they know the tie or they see the colour and yeah. it resonates with them. Um, Justin Martin from Studio Mardo has been my, one of my biggest influences in, in terms of our Cooley Auctions brand. Um, and we're rebranding right now. Um, we're in the middle of a rebrand, new website, new name. Uh, and that's all be launching early next year, hot off the press. We're dropping the word auctions and uh, we're just going to be called Cooley. So that brand will be launched early next year, um, which I'm in, really, really excited about. And Justin has had a huge influence, um, huge influence on, on our market presence in terms of the way our brand looks. Mate, awesome. uh, this has been absolute gold. It's been less about real estate and more about Mr. Cooley. And we've got, and we've got some uh, some hot off the press um, info, straight to the Telegraph with that. There you go, there you go. I don't even think I've told my auctioneers that. I better get the word out quickly. <laughs> Mate, before we wrap up, I, I always give um, the guest, uh, I guess, the opportunity to ask me a question around what they feel that the listeners may get some value out or, or something that you've wanted to know. So, mate, if you if you had a question for uh, the flamingo here. What would it be? Well, I had a question for you. Um, in terms of you as yourself? Or, or, or in terms of something that you think, um, you know, the listeners would get value out of. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think the most, I think, well, one of the biggest questions, like, what are your goals? Where, do you, where are you now and where do you want to be? Um, and then the second thing to that question is, like, what are the things that are holding you back from achieving those goals if you're not achieving them? Yeah. Because the biggest, the biggest handbrake or as Dr. Fred says you know the biggest um, the biggest mooring line um, is about finding out what that mooring line is and cutting the mooring line so you can be free to achieve all those goals so just ask yourself those questions where are you today and where do you want to be
the, the I guess the biggest mooring line, and it's something that we've literally just fixed. We're obviously good friends with Mark Kentwell, and he talks about them all the time. The biggest thing that I've struggled with with being young is getting on the piss. So you know you have a cracking quarter or you have a cracking week and then it's Friday and you get on the piss and Saturday's wreck, Sunday's wreck, Monday you got no motivation. And I was talking to a, a coach of mine, Jeff Jowett, who's, you know, been to the highs and the lows of business and life. And, and he said the same thing. He said, there's, there's one thing that you can cut from your life that you get an unfair advantage above everyone else because 99% of Australians do it. And that's drinking and partying and, you know, getting distracted. So that's something as of January 1, I'm cutting out of my life. It's no more drinking, no more partying. I'm going to do a year sober to see the, the impact that will have on my goals. And I guess um, my, my, my investment goal, I've, I guess I've started, I've built my portfolio from, from 18. Um, from 30, I want to have 10 million in net assets. And I'm very much on the, on the track to do that. So that's an investment goal that I work towards every single year. And if, you know, I guess something financially doesn't align with them, then I disregard it and, and, push on with that. And I guess from my business perspective, I, um, I just started my own brand. We, we opened our office in Paddington as of sort of mid, mid to late November. Um, and next year is very much focused on let's, let's scale the business. Let's grow the business and, and make a very big impact in Sydney real estate um, from a buyer's perspective from an, and an advocacy perspective. And I've got some really good people behind me and I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Mate, that's exciting and, and that's awesome. And I congratulate you for taking that challenge and, and committing to your health and your well-being from January to go and do that. You know, they're tough decisions. And and like you say, one of the challenges a lot of people have, and mate, let me tell you, it doesn't change the older you get. You know, those challenges are still there for everybody. And being able to be strong and make that decision is very admirable. So, yeah, congratulations, well done. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I did 100 days. I just finished 100 days sober and the impact it had is massive. You know, like, yeah, you start to realise that you don't necessarily need to be in the environments you think you need to be in and you, your whole focus is, you know, on your on your life and on your goals and not necessarily what Friday night's bringing or, you know, what you did yes. or the party or something's bringing. So, no, I'm actually... 120 really days is my record and uh, 120 and that, that's not trying to say that, hey, I beat you by 20 days. Um, that's about... Because you're gonna you're gonna walk me with 365, but um, you know you you are right. Like the biggest, the most important thing in, I think in business and every day is about feeling good about yourself. And if you're waking up with hangovers and you feel crap, you know that that's just not 24 hours. It's about the emotional investment that goes with that, about feeling bad for you know the next day and the next day, and then the repercussions of the people that you that you're bringing down around you as a result of that. So. You know, making the decision to um, be sober and not drink and get the best out of yourself, mate, you're going to have an unbelievable year next year. Appreciate it. Well, mate, that was uh, it was absolute gold. There's going to be a lot of value in this. So I appreciate your time. Um, and, mate, all the best with the rebrand for 2021. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Legend.